Our gospel reading for this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 20. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jewers, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. You can't be a United Methodist for long without hearing the name John Wesley. You know John Wesley? Yeah, yeah. I should have brought my bobblehead. Dadgummit. Oh, opportunity missed. In the United Methodist Church, we look upon our founder, John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest in the late 1700s. We look upon him with great regard. Thus the bobblehead that I have of him in my office, right? That, I mean, you, you've reached something when you become a bobblehead. He was the leader of the Methodist movement, and his theology shapes our entire denomination. Theology centered on grace and inclusion and love. But the gritty truth is, I am not sure I would have actually liked him as a person. <laughs> He was pretty intense, and I think he might have been a bit of a borderline narcissist, with the best intentions, of course, and all for the glory of God. But I want to tell you a story about John Wesley today, um, one that shaped him, his ministry, and how he felt about himself According to a website on John Wesley's trial of 1735, or 37, excuse me, John Wesley took a fateful move from England to Georgia. So in 1735, John and Charles Wesley, brothers, were in London when they were introduced to James Edward Oglethorpe. Who in, or who in 1733 had started a colony in America named Georgia. Oglethorpe encouraged the brothers to go to Georgia and preach to the many Christians as well as to the heathen natives. 
we'll just, we're going to go past that, but that's a whole sermon in and of itself, probably. And in December of 1735, the brothers set sail with Oglethorpe himself. When their group arrived in Savannah in February of 1736, they brought the total colonists to about 650, spread among six settlements. Charles Wesley did not find conditions to his liking and returned to England in July, but John stayed on and tried to impart his more robust form of Christianity to the colonists. One of the first he seems to have tried to convert was a young woman, Sophia Christina Hopke. Very soon, the two seem to have moved beyond the roles of priest and parishioner. He began to tutor her in French, and she tended him when he became ill at one point. As rumors of their relationship spread, one of Wesley's friends asked him if he was intending to marry Sophia. It was reported that, for some reasons, that he consulted a group of German Protestants who had their own settlement in Georgia, and they, again for an unknown, unknown reason, advised him not to marry her. Whatever the full story, in March of 1737, Sophia married another young colonist, William Williamson. Here's where it gets good. Eight days later, Williamson forbade Sophia to attend the services of Wesley and even to speak with him. But by July, at least she did attend some services. But Wesley chose to rebuke her in public for several things wrong in her behavior. And then, in early August, actually refused to let her take communion. Her husband then brought him, brought John Wesley up on charges, and owing partly to the fact that Sophie's uncle was the chief magistrate was and was able to throw his weight around, there were months of legal battles against John Wesley, and he felt forced to flee for his life. Wesley, John Wesley, was a failed missionary and a failed minister. He boarded a ship for England, defeated. He wrote aboard the ship, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Our scripture today is about the body of Christ, many members, one body. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, a diverse metropolitan city, and this relatively new community of faith is having some troubles. There have been different teachers that have come to this community. In addition to Paul, there was Apollos and then Peter. And this is called different factions to form under different teachers' leaderships. And then those that are formed under one teacher will criticize those that are following another teacher. Then there are the Jews and the Gentiles and that cultural split. 
and deep-seated divisions between. This community has also gotten into really bad habits about judging one another loudly, interrupting each other in worship and in prayer. If they think they can pray better, they would interrupt and start praying more loudly and proclaiming a better opinion or thought. They've even gotten into the practice of refusing those that they deem unworthy to be a part of the Lord's Supper, refusing them. And this Lord's Supper at times kind of just becomes an exclusive party. Paul is not a little fed up. He's a lot fed up. Come on, people, he says. You say that you believe in the gospel, but you are not acting like it at all. Then he goes on to describe the beauty of this diversity that is inherent in this community of Christ, which he calls the body of Christ. And this body of Christ, yes, has different parts like our own physical bodies, but they all work together for the good of the body. The body wouldn't work if everyone was a spleen or a kidney. I don't know, maybe he uses different parts. But all the beautiful diversity of different points of view, of different backgrounds, of different beautiful people are able to be contained in this one body, the body of Christ. And for Paul and for the early Christians... This great diversity in the body and the unity of the body is represented in the very act of the Lord's Supper or the communion. When the bread is taken by all and we are one people. Melissa Flora Bixler writes in an article called Discerning the Body that communion is a negotiation of borders and boundaries. Both porousness and rigidity are inherent in our reenactment of the Supper of Jesus that he offers his disciples. That get, disciples gather, displaced from their families of origin, to take the meal. Jesus says, we'll make them one. Who is present? And who is absent, though, we wonder? And what becomes of a body that tears itself apart in the eating As American Christians, we've done a pretty good job of dividing up the parts of the body that we deem worthy. And this is not meant for us here in this room, but it is meant for us here in this room and our shared history as Americans. Flora Bixler recalls a story from a book called Slave Religion, how the enslaved people in the South in South Carolina would travel long distances to gather for worship under the white slaver church. After hearing sermons about how God demands obedience to masters and forbids stealing, the deacons offer a communion to them. And then after, as the slaves are on their way home, those very same deacons are the ones that police them on their way and offer up beatings for any slight transgression. 
That kind of abuse of the diversity of the body of Christ breaks it deeply. And those wounds have simply not yet healed. They still fester in racism and inequality in our country. As much as we want to find comfort and assurance in the feel-good message of the unity of the body of Christ, the reality in our world is that people are hurting, people are broken, people are in need of deep healing. And as part of the body of Christ, we must recognize that if one part of the body is unwell, the whole body is affected. Flora Bixler writes, the wholeness of our sacramental life is not guaranteed by the gift of our practice. Sacraments go wrong because they exist within communities of people, and people are flawed and broken. We break things. Sometimes we break one another. We are no different than the people of Corinth. John Wesley himself found his spirit broken. He fled back to England, deeply wounded. His mission experience had been a failure. He was not only downhearted, but he felt terrible about himself. Now, I don't know of any writings in which John Wesley specifically reflected upon his actions against Sophie but we can imagine that that had to have been part of it. And that the reasons why he did refuse her that day were complex and maybe not completely priestly. The next year, 1938, in John Wesley's words, in the evening I went very unwillingly to a society meeting in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle on Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God's works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that he has taken away my sins, even mine. And I wonder if some of that warming was the act of the Holy Spirit in starting to heal John Wesley's broken heart. When one part of the body is unwell, the whole body is unwell. And yet what Christ offers for us is grace and love that heals even the deepest of wounds. And Christ invites us to the sacrament of communion as Christ's own table. All are invited. It's not for us to say who is welcome and who is not. Only Christ invites and invites all. Today, as we approach the sacrament of communion, 
May we remember that God's unfailing grace makes what is broken whole again, even for you, even for me. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.